Good morning. Good morning. That is the word or the words that we live by is in trusting Jesus. That's all. We don't trust anything else, do we? We trust Him. People who have the person who has Jesus and nothing else has is far richer than anybody who has Jesus plus all the rest of the world, are they? Or doesn't have Jesus and has all the rest of the world. We're rich because we have him. This morning the title of our, our message is Taking Refuge in Lies. And it's a it's a somber it's a somber subject, it really is, because there are people who live around us and they're basing their lives not on trusting Jesus. They're trusting something else. And we need to look at that. And, and we as Christians need to understand it because we need to be able to help them to get out of those lies that they're trusting in. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at a few verses in Isaiah chapter 28 uh, as our starting point. And then we'll, we'll, we'll look at uh, how this applies to us. Isaiah chapter 28, if you want to turn there. I want you to think back as we're looking through this. We're thinking back to a time in the late 8th century B.C., long time ago, uh, what, 2,800 years ago, 2,700 years ago now. Places Palestine, specifically the southern kingdom, the southern Jewish kingdom of Judah is what we're going to be talking about for just a few minutes here. So think back then if you can. The conditions of, for that these people faced at this point in time, they were very uh, politically tense. There was a threat in that part of the world at that point. In Palestine, it was the Assyrian nation. They were very aggressive. They were very brutal. And they were in expansion mode. They were taking over other areas. The northern king, Jewish kingdom of, of Israel was uh, being threatened. So was the southern kingdom of Judah. There were, so there was this threat. It was a dark cloud, if you will, over Palestine uh, or that area. The attitudes of the people we're going to see here in, the, in just a minute, a few minutes, is a sense of security. There was judgment coming. God's prophets had foretold it for a long time. And it was because of their sin, because they continued to reject the God who loved them, the God who had delivered them, and God who had placed them in that, in that land that was described as flowing with milk and honey. And yet he told them, if you continue to turn away from me, judgment's coming. It was building in the, in the form of the Assyrians, and yet they, they had this false sense of security. They, in the minds of the religious leaders of that southern kingdom, they had it all figured out. They had already put things in place. You know, whatever God says, we're going to be okay. We don't have any worries. And that's what we're going to read here in Isaiah chapter 28. We'll start reading in verse 14. It says, Wherefore, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. He says, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. He's talking specifically to the leaders, the king. Of, of the Jews here and the, the leaders, his counselors. He said, because you've said we've made a covenant with death and with hell we, are we at agreement. It's talking about death here. We're not, we're, not, we're not afraid of the judgment. We've made a covenant with death. It's not going to bother. We, we've got everything covered here. We're not going to suffer if God's judgment comes. He says, when the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come to us, unto us, for we've made lies our refuge. And under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Isn't that sad? God is speaking. He says, you put some plans in place, but they're lies. 
It's not going to be a refuge when the storm of my wrath comes. It's going to hit you, and it's going to hit you hard. And these lies that you're, you're hiding behind aren't going to help you at all. And then in verse 16, look at this. He said, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He's talking about the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I've, I've, I've put something here to protect you. If you'll put your faith in that, if you'll come back to me, you'll be safe. But if you continue to believe in these lies, it's not gonna, you, they're not going to help you. He says at the end of verse 16, He that believeth, that is, who puts his faith in God's provision, he that believeth shall not make haste. The idea is, when the judgment comes, you're not going to have to run away from the judgment if you'll put your faith in that tried stone, that precious cornerstone. You don't have to run because you won't be in danger. But if you keep trusting in those lies, you're going to have to run. And it's still not going to do you any good. Verse 17, he says, Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place. He's talking about a storm. He says, when my judgment comes, it's going to be like a storm, and it's going to wash away those lies that you're hiding behind, those, those things you're taking refuge in. Before we go any further, let's pray again. Father, thank You for allowing us to look into Your Word. Thank You for the words that You spoke through the prophet Isaiah. Words of warning. Words of uh, the compassionate warning. You warned Your people to turn from their sin and to turn back to You, and they continued. They were steadfast and refusing. And not only did they turn away from You and the provision that You made for them, they looked for a provision somewhere else. A refuge of lies, as, as You described it in Isaiah's prophecy. Father, how dangerous that was. And we're going to look at uh, what the result of that is. And we're going to look this morning, if, you, if you'll speak through me, Lord, we're going to look at lies that people hide behind this morning too. And we just pray that you would uh, show us, Lord, what is real, what, is, what are the lies that we might not trust in them, that we might trust in that cornerstone that you provided and put all our faith in Him. We ask you to guide us this morning. Father, teach us what we need to see in your Word. And we, uh, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The results of uh, the, the, uh, the Israelites continuing to turn uh, a deaf ear to God's warnings, they were catastrophic. Uh, Isaiah prophesied against that arrogant pride. In Isaiah 28, verse 15, he says they had made lies their refuge and they had hidden under falsehood. In verse 17, he said God would sweep away that refuge of lies. Well, the results we know... They continued to turn a deaf ear to the warnings. And in around 705 B.C., the Assyrians, led by their king Sennacherib, they swept in. They defeated earlier the northern kingdom. They swept into the southern kingdom, and they defeated them. And we're told that they carried away, after the defeat, they carried away some 200,000 people captive into Assyria. History tells us the Assyrians were brutal in the way they treated. And the, when, they, when they attacked... They showed no mercy. And the, the prisoners that they would take, they showed no mercy. Uh, that's a terrible place to be when the Jewish people and their leaders had God's provision. And they had hidden. We know that from history that they had, uh, they had made alliances with Egypt. And in the, in the form of, well, if the Assyrians come down, you'll, we'll pay you and you'll come and, and help us, won't you? And that to them said, we're safe from God's judgment. They weren't safe at all, were they? The Egyptians are... God had proven many, many years before that the Egyptians were no match 
when he brought his judgment to bear. And so they failed to learn that. Now that's ancient biblical history, isn't it? We know this. We've, if you've read history or biblical history, you know this happened. What does it have to do to us? Here's what, how it applies to us. People still take refuge in lies in the face of what uh, God's promises. God has promised that judgment is coming against sin. And yet people still will take refuge in lies instead of the tried stone, the precious cornerstone, the sure foundation that He made provision. Instead of trusting Jesus Christ, people still trust in other things. And this morning I'd like to look at some of those. And here's the reason. Remember last week we talked about, we talked about John the Baptist and how he was God's messenger. We talked about how we as Christians are also God's messengers. We need to be able to take the gospel message to people and we need to recognize that some of the people we'll try to witness to are hiding behind some other refuge. And we need to make sure they don't do that, that they don't feel secure and safe behind a false refuge because Jesus Christ is the only refuge that anyone can hide behind safely when the storm of God's judgment comes. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, some, some uh, modern uh, refuges of lies, if you will. The first one that I want us to take a look at a lie that some people hide behind is it goes something like this well it doesn't really matter what I believe as long as I believe something now, I'm, I'm religious and I, I believe some things that's a very sad lie to, to hide behind is it? it goes something like this as long as I'm sincere I'll be okay it's kind of like the the philosophy of Linus in the old Charlie Brown Halloween uh, cartoon. If I'm sincere and really believe the great pumpkin will come and bring me gifts, he'll come. I couldn't. I can't. After I've watched that that cartoon so many times, I can't imagine anybody being more sincere than Linus was. Bless his heart. But there was no great pumpkin coming, right? It does matter what we believe. It's not just that we're sincere, and Scripture doesn't know anything of this kind of philosophy. But it appeals to to modern independent thought, doesn't it? The thought that says, I reserve the right to believe what sounds good to me. It goes Sometimes it goes something like this, you do you and I'll do me. And as long as I'm believing what I'm sincere in believing, I'll be fine. That's a modern philosophy, yes, but it's a wrong philosophy. It's actually idolatry if people are believing in something in a concept of God or a concept of religion that is not taught in the Scriptures Scripture is very clear. That's idolatry. And that is an even further affront against the Holy God, isn't it? And that affront against God, it has eternal consequences. And we need to make sure people are aware of that. Matthew uh, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. I'm going to be reading a lot of verses. I won't ask you to turn to all of them uh, for the sake of time. But in, in, not Matthew, Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. The Lord talking... Said He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. He will suffer condemnation. Those are very serious words. He said, Go and preach the gospel. That is what our faith has to be in. That is what we have to believe in. The Son of God who is the Savior of all mankind. That's where we put our faith. It does matter what we believe, doesn't it? We have to believe the right thing. Or we've got no foundation to stand on. And we, may, we have to make sure that people understand 
If your if your faith is in the wrong thing, you're facing the condemnation of a, of a righteous and holy God, a just God. So that's the first lie that we can look at that that people will take refuge behind. That there's a second lie that people take refuge behind, and it goes something like this: philosophy and reason or meditation, they bring me to God. They bring me to something that I consider to be God. Uh, we live in a world where we're told that an open mind is what's important. We just got to be open to all the truth that's floating around out there that people bring us to. We're told that biblical doctrines, they're just too narrow. They're too confining. They're too restrictive. It, we're all, I think we're all old enough the exception of, of one young lady here who may not be old enough to remember this, but remember when seat belts were were not they were optional and, and some cars didn't have them? Yeah. I remember the commercials they used to have and they would have these people sitting there and they would they would say, You've got to wear a seatbelt and the response was something like this, seat belts are so confining. That's what people are telling us today. Biblical doctrine is too confining. I wanna I wanna believe something farther, something else. I wanna open my mind. We're told to, to widen our horizons and experience the broader truths, aren't we? But philosophy and reason and meditation, they're not what? They're not what are, are going to protect us from coming judgment, are they? Isaiah 55 again, in verses 5 through 7, we're told this Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your thoughts, or your neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. People can say there's so much more out there. There's so many other doctrines that you should be opening your minds to. Scripture says we should open our minds to the ways of God and to the thoughts of God, because that is what's going to deliver us in the day of wrath. As as for our doctrine being too restrictive. I want you to listen to what Jesus had to say. These are familiar verses. Matthew 7, 13. Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to what? Destruction. And many there be that which go in thereat. In verse 14, the Lord says, Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Eternal life. And few there be that find it. Why are there so few who find it? Because so many people are hiding behind a lie. They're taking refuge in this idea that there's so many other ways that we can get to God. God Himself says there's one way to God, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in Him. Mm-hmm. A third lie that people will hide behind sometimes. It says this, God is a God of love. He's not a God of judgment. We do serve a God of love, of incredible love, and of incredible compassion. But He is also a just God. A God who cannot wink at sin and say, well, that's okay. Now, that's not the God we serve. A God who demands punishment for sin. He demands it. Thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ took that punishment for us. But we have to receive Him as our Savior, don't we? This, this philosophy, though, this lie says there's no need to fear God because He loves everybody. If he, if he rejected anybody, it wouldn't be fair. Our God is the fairest of all, is He not? It is fair because He is a holy God and He cannot just tolerate sin. First Thessalonians, 
Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 7-10. through 10. They refer to a time, Paul says, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Those are serious words, aren't they? The Lord Jesus Christ will come back with His mighty angels and He tells us in flaming fire taking vengeance on the people who turn away from God and continue to turn away from Him. He says they're going to be punished with, listen to these words carefully, everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. We talk about, we, we often uh, will hear or we read about um, the fire of hell and that burning that will never cease. But I'm not sure that's anywhere near the punishment of what we read here. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. It's the fact when people pass into a Christless eternity, the fact that they're eternally separated from God and there is no hope to ever get to Him. That's the punishment. Isn't it? Isn't that going to be far worse for anyone than any fire of hell could ever be? To know that there was a merciful God they could have trusted, but they didn't do it. We can't let people hide behind this lie. Our God is a God of judgment. Satan's lie says that a God who condemns people isn't worthy of worship. God's truth says that unrepentant humanity isn't worthy of anything but damnation, condemnation, the judgment of God. But, God says, my grace is sufficient. I'll save. All someone has to do is trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that we can do. We sang about it. Jesus only. He's the only one. We trust Him alone and nothing else. So that is a lie. When, when someone says, God's a God of love, he, he, He'll never judge anyone. He will. The judgment is coming. And when it comes, it's going to be a storm, as, as Isaiah described it. It's going to wash away the falsehood, the lies. A fourth lie that people will hide behind sometimes. It goes something like this. Morality is the really important thing. As long as I'm a good moral person, I'll be okay. That's not what Scripture teaches, is it? And we, we've got, uh, we, we live in a time when people have this personally defined morality. I'll decide what, what's moral and what's not. I, listen, folks, don't trust me. Don't trust me to dis- define your morality for you. And don't trust anyone else because we're fallible. We are sinful people. And if we try to make a model of what morality looks like, it's going to look puny compared to what God's idea of morality is, isn't it? But the argument tends to go something like this. Well, I'm basically honest. Right? I don't steal a lot. Or, I'm faithful to my spouse. Except when, you know, that good-looking guy or that good-looking girl walks by and well, maybe my mind wanders. But I'm basically, I'm good. I'm mostly agreeable. That, that's a good one, isn't it? I'm really religious. Okay. I know people who religiously drink their coffee first thing in the morning. It's like that is their religion. They're not going to get off that at all, right? If I get really hot, I'm going to go for a sun drop. 
that's almost religious. I got to have the sun drop. But ice cold. I put one in the fridge the other night in the freezer. Friday night, I was I was studying, getting ready for this message, and I put it in the freezer at five o'clock, and I thought I'll leave that there an hour, and that thing's gonna be cold. I forgot it till eight o'clock. I went downstairs to get something to eat. Robin went home to remind me of stuff, and I went down there, and I, I went to get now get this. I went to get a, a sun drop out of the box, the case they're in. I thought one of these would be good, and then I thought I seem to remember doing this. Seems like I've done this already, but I didn't drink a sun. And then it dawned on me it's been in the freezer for three hours. <laughs> I was I was very fortunate that the top hadn't just burst, but when I opened it, it was so cold. It was so good. Well, I could go with that with a, with some kind of a religious fervor, couldn't I? But that doesn't help me any. This this lie that says morality is the all important thing. It says God knows I'm a good person. God knows the, just the opposite, doesn't He? For every one of us, He knew He's not a good person. Hebrews eleven six says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please Him." Without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is impossible to please God. Without faith in God Himself, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Salvation is not about how good I think I am. Because I can deceive myself. I can, we, can all, we can all say that, can't we? We really could. It's about trusting the only one who is good enough to pay our sin debt. That's what salvation is, isn't it? We trust the one who can do that. So this this lie that morality is the all-important thing, that's not going to help anybody. It's a refuge, yes, but it's a refuge of lies. Another lie that uh, people will hide behind sometimes is that it says doing good deeds will earn me God's favor. That's a, mm-hmm. I guess that's the Boy Scout version of, of mm-hmm. salvation there, isn't it? Uh, it goes beyond just having a sense of morality. This lie says, I do good things so God owes me redemption. He owes me salvation. Isn't that, a, isn't that a sad place to put your faith? Because I did something good, God owes this to me? God is, is viewed like that uh, statue you see sometimes, the blindfolded person uh, holding the balance. And yeah, my good yeah. will, will balance out my bad. I'm going to tell you what, my good's never balanced out my bad. Never has. And I think we can all say the same thing. Paul writing to the church in Rome, in Romans 3.19, says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that, excuse me, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in His sight. We can do all the good we want. It will never outweigh the bad and it will never justify us in the sight of God. See, Paul didn't pull any punches when he was talking to the church at Rome or when he was talking to anybody else for that matter. He said occasional good deeds cannot overcome the depth of our sin. And if we go further than that, not just occasional good deeds, consistent good deeds will still not overcome the depth of our sin, will it? Because we're depraved. We are lost. We're, we don't, we're not considered lost because we sin. We sin because we're lost. And that's the only thing we know how to do is sin. There might be an occasional good deed there. Paul says, in essence, the sporadic right motives 
do not outweigh the depravity of our souls. Only a new birth can do that. When the Lord saves us and gives us a new heart, that's the only thing that's going to over, overcome or outweigh the depravity of our souls. He says only Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection could buy our pardon. But it did buy it, didn't it? Jesus paid the debt for us. That's what saves us, not, not taking refuge behind a lie. Only His blood can wash away sin. And we say, well, that doesn't make sense. How can blood wash away sin? I can't answer that question. I can just tell you on the authority of Scripture, the blood of Jesus Christ washes our sin whiter than snow, as clean as possible. And when God, when we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God looks at us and He doesn't see any kind of good deeds. He doesn't see any good works. He sees what Jesus did for us. And He says, you've been declared innocent. So, good deeds, they're a very flimsy refuge, aren't they? When the storm of God's refuge, or God's judgment, blows through. It'll blow that refuge away. There's another lie that some people will believe in. It goes like something like this. It says, I believe there's a God. I don't need anything else, do I? If I just believe that, that God exists. Satan believes that God exists. As, are, as do the demons who followed Satan when he rebelled against God. There's no hope for them to have redemption. There is for us. We can put our trust in Jesus Christ. This lie goes something like this. Sure, I believe in the concept of God. Or it may sound more like this. Well, everybody's got to have something to believe in. So I'll just believe there. Yeah, I believe there's a God. I don't have anything, anything better to hang my hat on other than that. It's not about believing in God. It's about putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people will put it this way. I was born a Christian. My family's always been in church, so I'm good. I'm okay. You, you've probably heard this said before. God doesn't have grandchildren. God doesn't have great-grandchildren. He doesn't have a, uh, nieces and nephews. We have to be children of God or we're not born into His family. We're not a part of His family. Just because our parents may have, or may have been Christians or an aunt or an uncle or someone who took us to church when we were little, it does not make us Christians. Christian, that is the term given to people who have trusted Jesus Christ. They put their faith only in His finished work and nothing else. And it's not putting our faith in Christ plus the good things that we do. The good things we do don't add anything to our salvation. We do good things after we're saved because we love the Lord and He asks us to do those things. Amen. Not so that they'll give any kind of value to our salvation. John 3.36 says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. And here's where it gets very scary to me, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Are those not scary words? A person who has never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, it says the wrath of God abides on that person. The wrath of God has taken up residence on that person, and it's not going anywhere until Jesus Christ washes away their sin when they put their faith in Him. We can't let people live in those lies, can we? That, that's, a, that's, that's not going to help them when the storm of God's wrath comes. So this, this idea that I believe there's a God and that's all I need, no, that is not all you need. Only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can save. Paul said it well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He said, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, 
how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel message. He died for us. He paid our sin debt. And the only way that does us any good is when we put our faith in Him. We cannot put our faith in anything else. We cannot put our faith in the idea that, well, I believe there's a God and that's good enough. The last lie that I want us to look at that people will hide behind. It says the most important thing about Jesus is that He was a good teacher sent from God. I believe that, don't you? But that's not what saved. Not the fact that Jesus was a good teacher. That He went around doing good things. That's not what saves. What saves us is what He did for us when He died for us. This, this argument that the most important thing that about Jesus that He was a good teacher, that's nothing more than a compromise to the world. It says He was a good teacher. Maybe even He was a prophet. Maybe did God sent Him as a prophet. He taught His followers a lot of good things. And I'm thankful He did because a lot of them are recorded in Scripture. We can read them. Still, that's not good enough. Because these people will say, but that's all He was. I don't think He was a Son of God. I don't think He was the second person of the Trinity. I don't think He did anything particularly for me because I have to do something to myself to earn my salvation. That's a lie of the devil. We can't, uh, we can't just take this idea that Jesus was a good teacher and that's all. That's the idea that Nicodemus started out with one night when he came to Jesus. He came to Him at night. There's been much speculation that he did that because his friends wouldn't have liked it if he went to Jesus in the daylight when they could be seen. He did it secretly at night. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the Lord talking, says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, or this is, this is uh, John speaking, I guess. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do those, things, those miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, came to him and he said, Rabbi, you're such a good teacher. We're so thankful that you're here and that you're teaching us all these good things that makes us feel good about ourselves. We just, we just, we feel warm inside when we listen to what you have to say. Jesus, let me stop you there, Nick. Unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter that I'm a good teacher. It doesn't matter that Matthew and Peter and John and Andrew and Simeon and all these other apostles are listening to me and they're taking this good teaching out and they're making you feel warm and fuzzy inside. That doesn't matter. What matters is that deep inside you may feel warm and fuzzy, but you are lost. You are undone without a Savior until you put your faith in me. And in the finished work that I'm going to do for you on the cross, you're not going to be saved. And you're not going to see the kingdom of God. He did not let Nicodemus get away with that idea that you're a good teacher and that inspires me and so I'll be okay. Further discussion um, led uh, to uh, Jesus' true identity because we see this in John 3.16, probably the most familiar verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there's no reason for anybody to perish. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that He died for you and you will be saved. In his book, uh, Mere Christianity, you may have heard this, C.S. Lewis said this, he shares why we can't stop 
with just thinking that Jesus is a good teacher. It's not good enough. Listen to his word because he's very eloquent. If you've ever read any of C.S. Lewis's work, his eloquence is, is amazing. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd be either a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. That's the choice we have, isn't it? Then he says, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. And he didn't intend to. Jesus was not just a great moral teacher. He was a great moral teacher, but it went far beyond that. He's the Son of God. He is the only one who lived a sinless life so He could be a sinless sacrifice for us. Those are the lies. Some of them. There are others. But these are just a few lies that people hide behind. And I'm not standing here saying this morning that that we're hiding behind those lies. Um, Likely none of these come as a surprise to anybody here. So why is it that we review them? Why do we take the time? Because like we saw last week, we are messengers for the Lord Jesus Christ and there are people around us, people among us who are believing lies like this and we can't let them do that. Satan will throw every lie he can at people if it will distract him from the truth. Satan will even let people read the Bible, carry it around everywhere they go as long as they don't make a move to try to put their faith in Jesus Christ because he wants to stop that. That's what will save people. He'll let them believe all of these lies. Any of them or all of them. And Americans, people around us, just like the Jews that we read about in Isaiah, in Isaiah's time, they're, they're feeling safe. They feel secure because they're, they're hiding in this refuge of lies. They say things like, we live in America. That's a Christian nation. It's God's chosen nation. We're safe. We don't have to worry about things. And people start to believe those lies. They take refuge in them. And they're in just as much danger as the people in the southern kingdom of Judah when the Assyrians were going to sweep in, aren't they? Only those Jews face a captivity in the land of Assyria. People who believe these lies we've been talking about and they refuse to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. There's a far worse captivity. It's called an eternity in the lake of fire and there is no escape from it. None whatsoever. That's why we take the time to look at these because we are to have the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're to share the gospel with people and we're to try to get to shake them loose from any lie that they're hiding behind. We have to remind them that there is a storm of God's judgment that is coming and nothing will stop it. It will come. And they need something better than these flimsy lies to hide under. They need to hide under the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when that storm hits, what did he say? Uh, Isaiah said in, in uh, Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. He won't have to run when the storm comes. If we are hiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, when the storm of God's judgment comes, we don't have to make haste to run. 
we don't have to, to look for any cover because we're hiding under the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't need any other protection than that, do we? If you're here by any chance today and you have not trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, I want you to just stop and think of how about how easy it would be to hide behind one of these lies and to take refuge in it. But that's not a safe place to be. In the Lord Jesus Christ is the only safe place for any of us to be. So if you happen to be here this morning, take advantage of that secure refuge. The Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Him. It's as simple as that. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for allowing us to look into Your Word this morning. These are somber words. We live in a day when there are people taking refuge in lies. Lies that Satan has given them. Lies that maybe friends or family have have shared with them and encouraged them to hide in these things. But we know, Lord, that when when Your wrath comes, the wrath of judgment of a holy God comes, it's going to sweep through like a storm and it's going to wash away all the lies. There'll be no refuge at all. Our only safe refuge is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for His sacrifice for us. We thank You that His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we thank You, Father, that to be saved, all anyone needs to do is call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Him to save. Put their faith in Him and only in Him. Not in any goodness of their own. Not in any any goodness that uh, that came from their family or anything else but they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there should be anyone here under the sound of my voice who has never trusted Jesus, we pray, Lord, that this would be the day they'd see the need, that they'd leave any, any other refuge they might be hiding behind and seek the refuge of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.